0: Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vine Pairs Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. I don't want to get too into the weeds on podcast scheduling and downloads, listener, but there's an episode we ran last Thanksgiving that I'm willing to bet a lot of you might have missed because, well, you're probably busy cooking turkeys, watching football and having very measured discussions about politics with relatives. That episode was the American Trilogy, and we ran it on Thanksgiving specifically because it is what I consider to be the perfect cocktail for Turkey Day. Pretty much all of its ingredients are of American origin. Its co-creators, Richie Baccato and Mickey McElroy, have truly lived the American dream, and it's one of just a handful of cocktails that I can think of that include Applejack, which is the ideal spirit for when those leaves start to fall. And that season is once again upon us, or a lot of us, so we're bringing this one back to the top of your feeds and sitting down with friend of the show, Richie Baccato. The drink is the American Trilogy, the show is Cocktail College, and the fine folks bringing it your way are none other than the Fine Pair Podcast Network. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Those are the words... From The King, Elvis, an American Trilogy. We're here today to talk about the American Trilogy, though, with The Cocktail's co-creator, Richie Baccato. Welcome back, man.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, as
0: always. It's a pleasure to have you back. New studio, same building.
1: Lovely, lovely. Yeah? Very comfortable.
0: And what have we done? How, how do you feel what we've done with the place?
1: I feel it's like a like an insular... Like a womb of of <laughs>
0: warmth and 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 comfort. It's comforting, isn't yeah. it? This little this little studio we have here—not little, but you know what I mean. That's the Scottish this wee studio we have. Um <laughs> uh, <Hotsman. laughs> It's uh, no, it's a great space. But no, up top there, I mentioned the American trilogy. We're gonna get into this. It's intentional that we're recording today, and we're putting it out today because I'm gonna say this from the top: three ingredients each i want to say pioneered created by immigrants but also distinctly american i'm we're going to get into whether that kind of was the inspiration for the cocktail or the name but the reason being overall is just like if anyone ever asks me what should i be drinking on thanksgiving cocktail wise i say there's no better candidate than the american trilogy
1: it's a um A very special cocktail for me, obviously, because I believe it's the first one that I actually created with permission to reproduce it and sell it to guests. So it was um, a very early effort for me, but turned out to be very successful and, of course, would not have taken flight the way it did without michael's assistance behind the bar in those early days
0: mm-hmm. so we're going to get into each one essentially speaking though we're talking about rye applejack, and orange bitters it's an old-fashioned riff it is and and i think that the
1: birth of that cocktail was very um the roots were humble i, I believe that i had wanted to experiment with specific ingredients that were not altogether foreign from our traditional old-fashioned, which is the same way we make it now, the way we made it all those years ago at Milk and Honey and Little Branches, identical to what we're doing tonight at Dutch Kills, but um, and many other bars that fall under the Petrosky umbrella that are still serving cocktails tonight. And I wanted to make a few changes, and I wasn't even sure that this was permissible, that this was okay, that you could deviate from the standard and make these adjustments and come away with a successful drink. So I remember at that time this was around 2007, mm-hmm. applejack in New York City cop- cocktail bars was uh ubiquitous. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was it was it was it was well, I should say it was a very popular spirit um that people were very very excited about. And you would think they were making this spirit in 1698 so what america's oldest distillery we yeah. we would have known a thing or two about it but when the uh bottled and bond expression got into our hands um, and made its rounds around the popular bars and cocktail bars in new york city at that time i think everybody had a, a very um specific inspiration from that bottle so mm-hmm. Um, A lot of people were making the Diamondback. I guess that was the uh, sort of a a stirred, uh, straight-up, I wouldn't call it a Manhattan, but you've got your green chartreuse, your rye, and your Applejack. Uh, From Ted Saucier, Bottoms Up, 1951, that was a very sexy cocktail. Yeah. um, That only required about a half an ounce of Applejack. So a lot of bars were then inverting those specs and and doing different things with, with Applejack and uh, the Marconi uh, wireless cocktail or the Star cocktail or the Bentley cocktail, which are essentially all just stirred Manhattan variations that we were making at Milk and Honey at the time um, and Little Branch. And other bartenders were obviously doing interesting things at Pegu Club. And um, so this this bottle, this bottle of Bonded Applejack was making its rounds. I remember seeing it um, in some cocktails of milk and honey in the early days. Joe Schwartz had uh, a cocktail called the Turnpike, which was a shaken straight up cocktail. Um, Very simple, but things paired well with Applejack, and we were recognizing what that was. So rye, Applejack, fresh lemon juice, simple syrup, shaken straight up, good night. Amazing. Um, Yeah, delicious to this day. Uh, Sam Ross had a Harvest Sour, similar to the Turnpike. Rye, Applejack, lemon juice, simple syrup, egg white, Peychaud's Angostura bitters, delicious. Mm-hmm. So I think that that was somewhat of the inspiration that I, I saw that these ingredients worked well together. Uh, the brown sugar cube, I don't know why. Uh, I remember saying to Mickey, is this permissible? May may we deviate from the old-fashioned and uh, Gaz Regan's orange bitters were always just there on the bar, staring at us. And I should note that, um, again, perhaps not an American ingredient per se, but or perhaps not invented by an American, and that shouldn't matter either way. But
0: well, Gaz was <laughs> Gaz was English, right? No doubt,
1: yeah. No but doubt. I,
0: I, I believe rediscovered, perhaps by Gaz. In, in Indubitably, but we were
1: doing a one-to-one Fee Brothers to Regan's orange bitters. Oh, uh, okay. So that was our house orange bitters. The brown sugar cube was a rough cut, unrefined sugar cube. It was likely from somewhere in the caribbean that's mm-hmm. perhaps where its origins were i don't know if it came from the united states the the, the, the brand su- the sugar
0: is the one that you may be you know it's it's the biggest stretch in per- this in this case right perhaps right and and at
1: that time we would go so far as to grip these rough cut brown sugar cubes in our fingers and trim them with a bar spoon no yeah because they're they're like snowflakes right they don't come out the same. They're not the dominoes dots. So you you would have to be very good at trimming the sugar cube with your bar spoon, lest you should clip your fingernail and wind up having a very bad shift. Jeez. Yeah, uh, just to get the right measure. So mm. this is this is what we would do if uh, if we were making any drink that called for that that brown sugar cube. So the brown sugar cube being. A slight departure from the white sugar cube in the old fashioned and and the orange bitters slightly different from the Angostura um but this was just an experiment that I yeah. was doing behind the bar and, and and Mickey although in age uh my junior very much as far as his tenure at at the bars at that time my senior and and guiding me throughout my training along with everyone else that 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 got me to uh the point where I was able to handle myself behind the bar properly Mm -hmm. according to those standards. So uh, I remember working shifts with him early on and working on this drink and somehow the Applejack and the Rye Whiskey came together naturally
0: in this cocktail. Fantastic. It's interesting that you say that and, and all of those other drinks that you were mentioning before that you guys are kind of working on that were out there in the New York cocktail landscape and beyond. That it's rye and applejack, and it's not bourbon. Yeah, what is it about that combination? I think that the
1: bourbon, and I, I remember
0: trying this cocktail with
1: bourbon. I think it imparted sweeter notes that were not very, very sonorant or welcome in the cocktail. I think we needed that because we were using a bonded applejack, uh, and we needed we needed a. a peppery note from the rye, something more spicy. Mm -hmm. Um, And the bourbon didn't quite work out as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not that it couldn't, not that it wouldn't, but in this particular cocktail it did not. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do remember that what other bars were using in their well and we had our formulas and they had their formulas and, and, and bars like Pegu Club, you would see Rittenhouse in the well and that that's great. And for us, it was Old Overholt at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's how we originally made the cocktails mm-hmm. with the Old Overholt rye and the uh, bonded apple jar. That yeah. from Laird's? Correct. Yeah. And so I remember seeing Lisa Laird around the bar once in a while, and that was also really interesting to meet her and speak with her about her family's history and mm-hmm. and learn about uh, this distillery that was the oldest in the United States. and um, Yet, they did not have the marketing behemoth that most spirits do, yeah. but they most
0: certainly had the history and the clout. Mm-hmm. Let's get into Laird's here, actually, as well, because I was going to... You know, obviously... This is the first time that Applejack's come up on this show. Um, so it's surprising somewhat to hear you talk about that doing the rounds in 2007 because it's not an ingredient that I feel like gets a lot of play these days. Um, I'm sure there was probably a number of different reasons why people were gravitating towards it then. But Laird's, you know, again, first. Licensed distillery, I have this, I have it written here. They get U.S. license number one in 1780. Right. This predates America's national spirit, bourbon or heritage spirit, whatever it's called, you know, predates it. Right. This is uh, a very, obviously a very
1: important, uh, it was used as currency to know that, (laughs) to know that Jersey Lightning was used uh, to coerce, People's entry through tolls on carriage roads. This was this was to learn about this spirit to me and its history and and, and how we then applied it to cocktails um, was unlike any other. Mm-hmm. So and also the the initial process of Jack freezing, how yeah. it was produced on someone's doorstep by by leaving a pot. Yeah, tell outside. tell <laughs> us about that because
0: you know that is not a common production technique and probably not one you can scale all that easily. Yeah, not mass, not from mass production yet
1: like many spirits around the world today that are produced by small, uh, what you would call a small batch or a small production method. Um, for example, clarin rum. Yeah. Which you're seeing a tremendous amount. Well, I'm very excited about it. You're seeing a tremendous amount of of rum coming from Haiti, mm-hmm. which is made, I think there's over 500 stills on that island, on that half of the island, which is a very, very small square footage Um, when you think about it, uh, in relation to the state of New Jersey, I don't know how it, it figures, but again, people all over New Jersey were making this, this applejack. And of course you have a, a, uh, immigrant like yourself from Scotland who Mm -hmm. we have to thank for that.
0: uh, (laughs) And for the rye as well, I'm just going to give that to us as well. (laughs) Scots, Scots and Irish. No doubt. We'll get onto that in a bit, but so... Applejack is not just apple brandy. And obviously it's changed over time, but the jacking process that you talk about there. So you ferment a hard apple cider or just cider as we would call it in the UK, right? Maximum, you're probably getting to about 10%-ish through that process. I mean, like, you know, cider, wine, these kind of things through fermentation. You're not getting much higher than that. And then, so how do you bring this up to the proof of something that's approaching a spirit or getting there, but without running it through a still?
1: So, official disclaimer if we're talking about distillation, I can probably mm-hmm. lend a few uh, thoughts to that. But how the jack freezing process actually extracts the, uh, or, or, assists with the distillation process I'm not an expert mm-hmm. and I'm thankful that they're not doing it that way anymore well but, yeah and so <laughs> but my understanding is mm-hmm. what what would happen is yes you're correct they would take a fermented cider mm-hmm. um put it out in the cold where you would have uh, open air fermentation or distillation uh, I suppose the what 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 would be happening is, there would be one layer to freeze, mm-hmm. but yet that layer would absorb the, what would be the congeners
0: or the heads, I suppose. I'm, I'm not an yeah, expert here. Yeah, I'm not here. sure how this works in terms of distillation. My only understanding of it is, and again, I, you know, this is something that I looked into today and I'd never considered before, but it's just like a case of freezing water content, removing that, and therefore increasing by concentration the abv of what you have there now immediately i'm wondering well are you removing flavor compounds too in that liquid aspect i don't know but it's a way of i guess by reducing it's like evaporating or whatever but it's a different it's a different means of
1: doing so right i did not cheat before I came here today and, and do my research so I'm unprepared for, <laughs> for class. But yes Needless
0: to say, no one's making it like that anymore.
1: Well, thankfully that's but not, thankfully not. The, the main process by which we're
0: if you want that, go to go to, you know, somewhere upstate New York or or head north of the border and have some ice wine. Because that's, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know also, similar yeah. kind of process. Yeah, very similar. Phenomenal. Sure. Yeah. But actually in that case you're going lower A B V. Who cares? Anyway, modern day. Apple. So it's not just apple brandy.
1: Right. Because, so when you when you had, going back to the inspiration for this particular cocktail, mm-hmm. all the drinks manuals and the books and the cocktail uh, folklore that we had available to us at that time in 2007, all these books that we had behind the bar, it was Calvados, 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 yeah. Calvados. So in the Savoy, you open up the Savoy cocktail book, every other cocktail, um, that's it. Gross exaggeration. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. uh, but it was present. It was uh, it was ubiquitous in that book. So what we started doing is replacing calvados in our cocktails with this applejack that we had our hands on at the time. Uh, so I think the inspiration came from using this American, very American ingredient. Yeah, much as the very American bartenders. Who left the United States uh, during Prohibition to go to Europe, and what was in their hands was Calvados and probably many other things that they had never experienced or or made cocktails with in their time. But here we have Applejack, and how does it compare? What's the difference? What what was special about Applejack in 2007 or even in 1930? Uh, that was different from Calvados, mm-hmm. and of course, the distillation process is different in Calvados. You have pears often. Um, yeah, it's a brandy that that can include other fruit aside from apple, mm-hmm. um, apples, I should say. So, what you're looking at is almost like a mash bill, like with a a grain spirit, like with a whiskey. There's there's going to be a certain percentage of of varietals of apples yep. that are present in in every expression of Applejack or Calvados. But with Calvados, you commonly find that there are
0: pears added to it. Pears. Yeah. Le Morton, Just yeah. that's, that's one of my favorites out there. Just go and buy bottles and bottles of that <laughs> stuff. You know, are <laughs> you familiar with Le Morton? But yeah. high proportion of pear, I think, in there.
1: Um, And, and also as with, well, Applejack traditionally, of course there are many expressions that are aged. Pears mm-hmm. has a seven and a half year that we, we still enjoy at the bar. Um, but generally, it's a younger spirit. Mm-hmm. And of course, the folks that were jack freezing their apple uh, cider on the front porch were not aging it in, <laughs> For in, sure. in, uh, For sure. in barrels afterwards. But uh, like in, in, in Normandy, um, it's almost the, the younger the Calvados, the more apple mm-hmm. which bartenders, I think, appreciate. And perhaps as it achieves a, a, a greater, uh, more time in the barrel lends a more okier aspect and, and a less happily element for to, sure to the distillate. So with Applejack, as opposed to Calvados, you're getting a very happily experience, mm-hmm. uh, at least from what would be an unaged Applejack in the bottle.
0: And I think at some point, or, I mean, this is going to happen across the board, but at some point, probably a lot more prevalent previously, you'd have folks also maybe adding some grain neutral spirit in there as well, lengthen it out that way. um, but the stuff we're talking about here today, you know, Laird's, you know, whether it's seven and a half years, the Bond, you know, like those are pure brandies to my knowledge, age brandies.
1: Yeah, um, we were very excited about the Bonded. We had the eighty proof as well, um, mm-hmm. but but it and it worked in certain cocktails, but not in this one. But um, but yes, the the seven and a half year the Bonded, which I believe is now at a hundred, so that they don't have to legally bottle it and bond.
0: Got um, it. Yeah. Okay. So. Nice. Yeah. And then rye. Right. Yeah. Actually, before we get into rye, where does the name for the cocktail come from?
1: <laughs> okay. I, officially, I believe, and my, 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 my memory doesn't always serve me correctly. Well, this I, is the business. Yeah. Yeah. This is the, a, the uh, business of forgetting. In many ways. In mm. many ways. The name that we wanted for the cocktail was Once Upon a Time in America. That was the name. It seemed a bit loquacious for and uh, for, for any purpose. A cocktail menu or even just to announce that the name of this... I'll Have it Once Upon a Time in America it was a bit much. Mm-hmm. So the American Trilogy became the name.
0: But so there's always this tie to America there. It's an intentional tie, yeah. presumably, to the ingredients. So n- neither...
1: Myself nor Michael were born here, but we Mm -hmm. have a strong connection to this place, especially New York. None of these ingredients are specifically um, native to New York. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Although we are getting a New York category of rye. I believe. You, I, of course. Now we no, have... Now, no, no. Sorry, yeah. We have, we have rye production here, of course. Of mm-hmm. course. Um, New York Distilling Company, shout out to them. Alan Katz. Uh, Van Brunt Stillhouse, mm-hmm. shout out to them. Um, and, plenty, and also, uh, getting back to Applejack, you have at the Warwick Distillery, the Black Dirt Applejack, which is another... Uh, so, of course, props to Laird's, but there are many other... There's others yeah, out there. Many other yeah. Applejack... Uh, uh, distillers and, and production out there. So, but at the time, that's what we were working with. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I like the Once Upon a Time in America. <laughs> Maybe can you can 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 you come back with that one?
1: We can do a uh, yeah. We can revisit that. Mm-hmm. We can come back with that as the the sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was uh, I suppose a cin- a cinematic reference that mm-hmm. we were both excited about, but didn't quite work didn't quite, for the name. not quite but, land. But yet,
0: uh, yeah. It reminds me of possibly my favorite opening line of any movie, which is fitting for the discussion today. I believe in America. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I do too. <laughs> I do as well.
1: <laughs> Those are the words of yeah. Godfather. Yeah, I um Vito
0: Corleone.
1: I, I quote that movie often, uh, Part Two, and I'm paraphrasing, but um, whenever I I find myself in a uh facing difficult moments in this career path i remember um the character hyman roth who was played by uh this is i shouldn't blank on el- this el- eluding me but mm-hmm. f- um, very important man mm-hmm. um <laughs> far as theater and cinema um Let's not ask our pocket wizards, let's use our brains. Let's use our brains here. Noodles, referencing <laughs> referencing Once Upon a Time in America. Um, and so he, he says to uh, Michael Corleone, always remember this is the business that we chose, and this is a paraphrasing, I, I don't remember the line exactly, but, um, but yes, that, that, that's always a line that I think about
0: mm-hmm. from, from that movie. Fantastic. Yeah. He's trying to be what, the Meyer Lansky? Yeah, that was the reference, I That's think. That, the, was, yeah, his, that yeah. was his.
1: They were in Cuba. He yeah, was in yeah, exile. Yeah. yeah.
0: Phenomenal. Stanislavski? No,
1: no, that, that couldn't
0: have been him. No. no it would have been anyway, him. people, yeah. yeah, people can Google. We'll Google after. Or, for, or it might come halfway through the episode. Forgi- yeah. Forgive me for, for <laughs> not, not remembering. But no, I just felt like, you know, that was, you know, two, three degrees of separation there with the Once Upon a Time in America. Great film as well. Go check that one out. Great cocktail name. Waiting for it. Um, back to rye though. We've covered this before at times. The rye renaissance, tracking with the cocktail renaissance. It's it's a phenomenal category. I probably find myself more intrigued by rye when it comes to trying new bottlings or new producers than I am by bourbon. Don't get me wrong; I love bourbon, but there's something about it, and you know those kind of caraway spice notes. It just for me, it's it's a perfect fit with apple with that flavor.
1: Yeah, it worked. It worked really well. Um, still does. And I just for whatever reason, the chemical reaction in the glass was harmonious. Um, you like as you you, you said the, the caraway. The, the, just the, the fact that this spirit is just so chewy and peppery yeah. and spicy, and it, it really complemented the Applejack mm-hmm. tremendously well. One to one. Yeah.
0: Equal, Equal parts. How many old-fashioned riffs are you seeing at the time? Because I, it's not a cocktail that I think gets riffed upon as much as you might imagine. Of course, we have Phil Ward's classic... Well old fashioned, but just a very different beast to the cocktail we're talking about today, right it's it's much looser <laughs> kind yeah. of sibling
1: to this we barely had tequila at uh mm-hmm. we barely had agave spirits at at milk and honey and little branch. They were there, but they were not um, featured prominently on the back door mm-hmm. so it 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 is of. No surprise to me that we did not have a similar inspiration. Something like that, yeah. Inspiration, yeah. Yeah.
0: But I mean, you have the rum old-fashioned, which is okay. Like, yeah, the old-fashioned riffs swapping out bourbon for something else. Great. But what we're talking about today is a a different cocktail, seemingly directly inspired by the old-fashioned, but also with its own identity. Unique.
1: Yeah, and as I said, that was a bottle that people were reaching for. This was a popular bottle. Not because it was new, because it wasn't, but it was maybe new in its presence at these bars and we wanted to make this part of our experience, embrace the history not only of uh, American bartenders making cocktails in America using distinctly American spirits, Uh, to create a balanced drink that we thought could stand the test of time. It seems like it has because we're Mm. talking about it tonight. It it
0: definitely has. And it's, um, you know, I was thinking about this earlier. I definitely had one last October, uh, last October, last November, November last year, Um, might've been after Thanksgiving, but I do remember sitting down in Dutch kills and ordering one. The funny thing as well is that, um the wonderful server there there's just always like a knowing look in someone's eye where you're like or they didn't they weren't quite sure if they knew you're like you don't know that this drink and i'm like yeah it's the perfect word late november in dutch kills your bar fantastic best way to do it
1: i once had one in sydney australia i believe at shady pines no it was on the menu there so it's it's made it's made its way around uh, which is always interesting.
0: That couldn't get further away.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, lovely experience. Phenomenal. <laughs> um, but it's also interesting how, when cocktails make their way around the world, it's like a game of telephone. Right? Mm-hmm. You might, mm-hmm. you might experience an ingredient differently, or maybe they can't source the same yeah. ingredients, and we have that uh, issue here too. Of course, with attempting to recreate cocktails from bars. The world over so yeah um if if i was to try to conjure the same cocktail as someone in italy perhaps um here in new york city the grape might taste different who knows what what completely different yeah yeah what the experience would
0: be was that somewhat common at the time you talk about like lairds doing the rounds or you know bald and bond applejack doing the rounds at the time um things are different now right? The, the the number of brands and products out there has increased exponentially. Thanks to folks like yourself. Would you see that where suddenly there would become excitement for this one ingredient? And then suddenly it's just like, who can do what with it? Not in a competitive way, but like, I think about other things like San or maybe in more recent times, like people love Mr. Black, different ingredients like that, where it's just like, okay, everyone's figuring out what do we do with this
1: it's so true yeah Uh, for example and you just hit the nail on the head when rob cooper came around with the first bottle uh or first uh, iteration of of saint germain um, certainly to little branch and to milk and honey and to other cocktail bars around new york city everyone was very excited and i think joaquin simo said it best when he called it the ketchup. <laughs> that, was, that, 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 was that Joaquin that, who coined that I, one? I, I believe so. I, at <laughs> least that's my my reference to that. Mm-hmm. Um, ketchup for bartenders because it somehow found a way to bind so many cocktails. Everything. Yeah. Um, and and so we were excited to have that, uh, that, that bottle of Laird's bonded Applejack behind the bar. I remember specifically um, Christy Pope, who I was so fortunate to work with and also train with. Um, in my early days and Chad Solomon I believe was at Pegu Club at the time but I think they and still do um, but had a, a pretty good relationship with Lisa Laird at the time and that's how she made her way to Little Branch and Milk and Honey to meet us and talk with us and it was all very casual there were no brand ambassadors there was no corporate presence this was very much in line with who we were which was a very small cocktail bar in a big city Without any sort of marketing presence, this was before the days of of, of these um, um, the way people communicate nowadays. <laughs> um, and, Social and, media, yeah, none of that was uh-uh. was was uh, was a reality. So we barely had uh, we barely had cell phones at that time. Of course, they existed, but um, the smartphone was just invented, I believe, in two thousand seven. Sasha gave me an iPhone. Generation One, because he didn't want it. He said, "Here, you have this thing." We had all been communicating with Blackberries previously because we had that. Um, Remember being, the old Blackberry Messenger, right? Because it was they couldn't track. Yeah, you. it was a completely encoded means of communication that nobody could track. So that's what we did. The pin. Yeah. Um, so this is what when I met Lisa Laird and when Chad and Christy. I think first introduced us, at least um, behind the bar, to this spirit. It was unlike anything else that we had been working with, and it had a very similar and I don't want to say low key. I just want to say a, a truly respectable pedigree, and it felt immediately familiar to the bars mm-hmm. that I was working in,
0: and totally aligned with everything that you know you guys had been doing at the time. Right? Okay, so we're seven years. Since milk and honey first opens, I would assume there's been this whole excitement about rediscovering categories and finding new products and maybe people bringing old stuff in. But then at some point, you're like, okay, so what else can we do now? Like seven years at least feels like a good time for that, where, where you're like, okay, you know, we've done not what we can, but we've got bourbon, rye, all these other things. We got that covered now. Nah, what else can we do? But that's also looking to the past as there had been with the recipes. I don't know. It makes it makes complete sense the way that you kind of highlighted there.
1: Yeah, it it just fell together very naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also something that just made a lot of sense in those bars mm-hmm. that that we would combine those ingredients, of course, um, why did we put an orange twist? I don't know, Orange Bitters, Orange Twist. I mm-hmm. think we probably tried it And so Orange
0: ways. Bitters, where you were using it a lot of the time, it was there on the bar and it was... We did our one-to-one. That's what worked for us. It still mm-hmm. works for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Rye, you mentioned Old Overholt. Um, obviously, the options now are tenfold what they were then, but very different yeah let's let's do a little shout out to Overhaul because you know the the old's family as they're called right you know owned by um beam tory james b beam distilling company right fantastic products yeah we old granddad yeah we we were ogd ogd the 114 phenomenal what's this a 30 dollar bottle of bourbon so
1: always present on the back bar at, at both little branch and milk and honey mm-hmm. and as far as I'm concerned, belongs and has its place and and should be heralded to this day. A mm-hmm. fantastic bottle, a fantastic whiskey. Phenomenal.
0: Yeah. I've drank so much of that. I'm going to sound like an asshole <laughs> for bringing this up on air here right now, but I've drank so much of that in my time that someone recently made me their House Old Fashioned, which had a little twist to it. And um, they're about to tell me what the bourbon was. I said, let me... Let me take a guess. <laughs> so I, you know, did the whole thing. Knows the drink, tastes the drink. I'm like, it's all granddad bonded and uh, got a high five there and yeah. also said, you know, maybe I need to drink less bourbon. <laughs> Enough respect, but so approachable, right? Like, so, so approachable. Yeah. I mean, and, but then the old overhaul and and the thing about overhaul as well is during the pandemic, 2020, it was for sure. They upped the proof of the, of the, lowest price offering brought back the bonded if it, or and then they also released this age version that for the life of me I can't remember how old it was but it was phenomenal the small yeah.
1: sample that I tried yeah. and it's funny i I recently tried the original version of this cocktail when when you and I first started talking about it and 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 the possibility of coming here and talking about it together I tried the original. Cocktail as it was mm-hmm. sixteen years ago, or is that sixteen units? So, oh, it's gonna be sixteen. Sixteen in, in, yeah. in a month in yeah. change. And it, so people describe old overholt uh, as a bag of peanuts. And that's that's kinda a common thing that I hear bartenders say is that if you like peanuts, you like old mm-hmm. Overholt, Um especially like the crushed peanut shells at the circus. Something tells me these kids never ate peanuts out of a bag in a circus, <laughs> but okay, yeah, um, that's cool. It's a good reference, and I, and I like the reference. And mm-hmm. I, I enjoy that. So, but I never really got that specifically. Um, it was just a pound for pound, um, a steady and reliable rye whiskey that we could use as a utility mm-hmm. scalpel in all of our cocktails behind mm-hmm. the bar. And nowadays, you've got. A rye for stirring and a rye for shaking. Every yeah. Your well gets deeper now because you've even got a mezcal for shaking and a mezcal for stirring. So it gets very complicated. How big are these wells getting? <laughs> they're, get, they're getting <laughs> deep. Back in the day, that was not the case. No.
0: At all. I wonder there whether that peanut reference, I got to say, I wonder whether that's something to do with the yeast that Beam uses because um, I get that. Knob Creek... And Booker's, some of those releases from them just taste like eating a Snickers bar to me, and I mean that in the best possible yeah. sense. I I absolutely love it. So I wonder whether that's the use. But either way, yeah, I think you know, good to good to give some give some love to old overhaul.
1: That that's that's how we did it back in the day. It always worked, mm-hmm. and uh, so I tried it again recently, a few different variations. I have to say, if we're gonna be specific, um. Chip uh Tyndale at Dutch Kills made me an American almost just said American tragedy, which <laughs> was one of our nicknames for this drink because we wound up having to make so many of them. And what have we created? We've yeah. created a monster. Um Chip made me an American trilogy with uh Michter's rye, um, which was lovely. Mm-hmm. Just velvety, chocolatey, delicious. And yeah, that that's, cherry as
0: well. Yeah. That's a cherry for me. Yeah.
1: That's how I would that's how I would have it tonight.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, and I imagine maybe that overhaul that you were using back in the day might not have been quite the same proof. Who knows? But um, as you said, house is another that bartenders often often favor. Um, we've covered rye a lot before, so I don't think we need to go too much further on that. But generally speaking, wait, what does Michter's come in as?
1: I think it's at, okay, I think it's at 94, but I could be wrong 94. about that. I could yeah, be that wrong
0: makes sense. That. At or approaching 100 Proof is yeah. basically the sweet spot for cocktails. Which for rye? Is, yeah,
1: for rye for sure. And that's why I respect what other bars were doing with Rittenhouse, which was at 101, I believe. So that makes sense. It was a good move, especially when you're stirring cocktails because you're if you're starting with three ounces of liquid content prior to adding ice and prior to stirring, and you wind up with... Hundred and twenty mil total. When when you strain the cocktail in the glass, you've got an ounce roughly. Um, that works well with an with a higher proof rye specifically, mm-hmm. um, because you're proofing it down a little bit. Yeah. And then what what you're doing when you're stirring that cocktail is you're changing the ABV inherently. That's your job as a bartender. So with with a higher ABV. I believe that you have more control over the final product that gives you a an option to retain much of what the distiller intended for the spirit in the bottle. Mm-hmm. And that comes and becomes prominent in your glass when you when you strain that cocktail.
0: And spoiler alert here, we're going to serve this one over a hopefully a good cube of ice. Yeah, so if you, therefore if you have again, it. you know, yeah. But therefore You know, you don't want to be that risk of dilution as well. If you're putting something that's 80 proof in there to begin with, you know, you're only enjoying half of this cocktail, I would imagine.
1: So it's a good point that you raise any of our old fashioned style cocktails served on the big rock. This drink wants to mature. So what you drink as your sip is not the same as mine. You can't quantify a sip or qualify a sip, a quarter ounce, an eighth of an ounce, a half ounce, one ounce. Each sip that you take is unique to the individual who's enjoying the cocktail. But for the most part, we're not accepting the cocktail and slamming it down no. the gullet. That's not the way you drink an old fashioned at Dutch kills, no. unless you're a total savage. <laughs> so so you, you let the drink mature. And with that Higher ABV uh, distillate, whether it be the rye or the Applejack, it has an opportunity to do that. So we can talk about ice another time. But we often received a lot of critique for not stirring our Negronis or Old Fashions and then straining them over the big ice. And, and And our argument was always that the water content is too much yeah. at that point. So you let you let. The heat transfer take place in the glass. You let the ice melt, the ice melt, big ice melts slowly, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but it makes your drink colder and, and your drink stays colder for a longer period of time. And, and you enjoy your sips as you enjoy them. But that drink matures in the glass. And that's what the intention was.
0: Well, also, I mean, you know, who's buying a fine bottle of rye and a fine bottle of Applejack? and sticking it in the fridge and saying, I need to get this down to temperature first before I drink them neat. No, that's not what we're doing. <laughs> right. and, and and the old-fashioned, you know, the American trilogy, as a drink, it's very, it's nowhere, not that far removed from from drinking spirits neat, right? Like, that's how this drink is supposed to be enjoyed. Yeah, it's,
1: ultimately, you don't want to throw your pearls at swine, right? So to, to conjure this cocktail and use an inferior quality of ice that you have in your freezer or in a room temperature, ice bin does not do justice to the spirits that are coming from these bottles that people have taken pains uh, yeah. to, to distill um, to their standards um, that they set forth. So we respect every spirit in the bar, be it from the well or on the top shelf with the finest caliber of frozen water that we can create. Yeah. Um, and that's what it always was. Mm -hmm. That that was the, the methodology from day one.
0: Fantastic. Um, I'm going to say we've covered all the ingredients here apart from maybe the Demerara, but you said how that came about, (laughs) you know, that was there just to be different. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So how about we, how about we jump into the preparation and you talk us through it now as if you were making this drink in the studio today and you said there, you know, ingredients change, what's available has changed. So maybe what your modern spec would be after considering this over this past week or so. Yeah. Talk us through from start to finish.
1: Yeah, the deep reflection of the past week leading us up to this <laughs> Thanksgiving holiday. So we used, I believe we used uh, the rough cut Demerara sugar, uh, brown sugar, sugar cube, unrefined. I believe the, the, Common brand was Roland that we had back in the day. I can remember the oval logo. Um, so, yeah, we would trim it so that it wasn't too obnoxious and, and too big um, because you don't want your drink to be too sweet. Ideally, your drink is balanced. And if you're not working with perfectly square... Consistent. Right. So And, that, and that's okay because these sugar cubes were like snowflakes. They were unique in shape but uniform in service. Uh, so... One brown sugar cube, and, and it maybe the Demerara sugar or the Turbinado or the unrefined sugar variety that, that it was um, added some depth to the cocktail that the white sugar could not. Yeah. Um, so sugar cube in your—we used a 12-ounce uh, whiskey glass or old-fashioned glass. So sugar cube in the glass uh, saturate with uh, two dashes of bitters. The bitters were one-to-one Regan's to Fee Brothers. Um, and the controversial splash of soda. why did we do that? People People became upset about that gesture <laughs> that, that we would do in our in our old fashions. And it was simply to, and and this is like an infinitesimal, possibly less than an eighth of an ounce, strictly as a means by which you saturate the sugar cube, and it allows you to gently muddle that sugar cube with the bitters to create a granulated paste not n- nothing more than nothing that that would even indicate a wash line in the glass the mm-hmm. eighth of an ounce nowhere nothing.
0: near as much dilution as you would get if you were stirring this over ice and then serving it on the For on sure. a rug. No,
1: this this is just a a, a but a but a, as you would say but a wee gesture mm-hmm. to <laughs> to 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 crush the sugar cube and create this granulated paste on the bottom of the glass,
0: and also a calling card for milk and honey. Yeah, or well, milk and the milk and honey family. Yeah, right we there. always we always did that, and
1: this was this was heavily uh, scrutinized and cr- criticized. <laughs> it was scandal, scandal. But but really not not so much because how upset could you really be over a splash of soda?
0: Also, sure. when you're doing it, I have done this at home. There's a very enjoyable sensation when that water. Hits the sugar cube that's already soaked up a little bit of bitters. It kind of fizzes, falls apart. You start making this paste. It's it's a very enjoyable thing to do. It's a ritual. It it's is a ritual, ritual. Yeah,
1: that's it. And would it be too dry otherwise? Would the would the co- would the ultimate would the cocktail fail as a result of of the lack of of soda? I don't think so. But I do think it helps. Bind the ingredients in this initial stage. So you've got your sugar cube, a couple dashes of bitter splash, splash, gentle splash soda. You muddle. No need to over muddle. You you do not uh, have to do more than just crush the cube to make that that granulated paste. Um, you see a lot of bartenders ringing the bell with the muddler in their in their in their glass. Uh, not that it's dangerous, but there's really no need to knock around inside your whiskey glass with your muddler because should you break the glass, it's not the best thing that could happen in the middle of a shift. You might not cut yourself, but you'll break a glass. You have to make a new cocktail. Mm-hmm. If you are left with nine granules of sugar and bitters on the bottom of your muddler, then so be it. No, no need to ring the bell. Don't yeah. don't knock around the glass with your <laughs> muddler. Um, it's unnecessary. Yeah. So
0: Also, you're making a racket. You're making a
1: racket. And and you're potentially causing irreparable harm to yourself and your coworkers. Not really,
0: but not worth the risk. Not worth. It. <laughs>
1: uh, so, you've done your muddling. From here on in, it couldn't get any easier. This is perhaps one of the uh, most enjoyable cocktails to make because at this point you're you're one to one, you're equal parts. It's mm-hmm. it's your rye and your applejack. Uh, you would add a Preferably a large
0: cold mm-hmm. rock. And these days, sorry, just to confirm you're going with Mictors and you're going with Laird's. That would be the the one that I enjoyed
1: the most this yep. past week at Dutch Kills. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that was that was a good uh Great combo. Good combination. Mm-hmm. It was it was quite enjoyable. Um and so that's what I would recommend to all of our listeners this evening. Uh and if that's not available to you and you want to go old school over Holt, mm-hmm was the way it was made and this should be for the record tale of the tape Mm
0: -hmm. um the way it was intended to be Mm -hmm. Uh, also uh, one thing i forgot to mention there too just another one to sell it for the whiskey geeks out there they stopped chill filtering their products too okay so, you know, you can expect a bit more viscosity on that or, you know, a bit more, you know, some of that mouthfeel. I don't know. I mean, it's just, a, it's a good sign for a brand that, to my knowledge, spends zero marketing dollars on anything and, you know, nothing. It just exists there on, the, <laughs> if not on the bottom shelf or close to it. Similar to how Laird's does not have
1: exactly. this dramatic marketing yep. uh, tendencies. So it, yeah. those worked well together, maybe for that reason. But um, And there was this thing about, the two, the 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 rye, the old Overholt, and, and the and the uh, bonded Laird's Applejack that gave it this candy sensation, mm-hmm. just this made you think you were about to maybe have some saltwater taffy, mm-hmm. maybe on the uh, <laughs> on the on the boardwalk in Monmouth County down there. So, nice. um, shout out to uh, all of our our people from Jersey who are listening in and and. Feeling proud about about their, their heritage. That's right about mm-hmm. their their state's glorious spirit. Um, but I do I do think that from that point now you've you've got your ice. You're gonna stir gently fifteen times, um, no more than that, and long orange twist. Express the oils. We do kind of a four count, and then around the glass. Uh, and then Robert is your mother's brother, as they say.
0: Bob's your uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Fanny, is your mother's sister? I forget. <laughs> no, no, mother's... Anyway, there we go. Um, phenomenal. That was the American Trilogy. Any final thoughts there on that cocktail before we move into the next section of the show or or Thanksgiving in general? I mean, for the diehards out there listening today as this comes out, celebrating Thanksgiving, hey, first of all, cheers Where's this rank in the in in the in the realm of drinking holidays in America? I
1: suppose it's up there for the simple fact that you have many people gathering together. And for whatever reason, uh family gatherings and and gatherings of friends should be always should be should should be considered a a glorious and beautiful occasion. Um Historical references aside, it is the gathering that should be important. Mm-hmm. Um, and although Thanksgiving is not a particularly special occasion to me personally, I respect that to many others it is. Yeah. Um, and I think that it should be, uh, whether it be a Monday in June or a Thursday in November, being with those whom you love and sharing a cocktail such as this um, is of paramount importance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will not designate this to be the official cocktail of the Thanksgiving holiday. No, but I've if you, done that for you. <laughs> if you enjoy one or two, yeah. then, then I, I support that. Mm-hmm. I, I second that emotion.
0: Well, also as well, just that you speak about that there too, this being America, we can hearken back to the original definition of the cocktail. And I mean, Quite like the old fashioned this this fits that definition, hundred percent.
1: It's it's a bittered sling mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has all the ingredients. It so. checks all those boxes.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice. Share one of my first memories. My my fr- my memory of my first ever Thanksgiving here in the U.S. Um, a member that joined us at the dinner table, perhaps somewhat early in their drinking career, polished off a bottle of. Um, Bailey's red velvet over the course of the dinner. That didn't end well for anyone. Uh, don't do that today. If you're I, listening to this right now, do not do that. I will not, and I will not advise anyone
1: to <laughs> recreate that episode. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That was one to uh, move beyond, but you know, drink what you want. Be in good company. Being good. Be present. Yes. Be present. All right. We're going to do it. We got five new questions for you, as as we do for our returning guests here, our returning friends.
1: Yeah, I will freestyle to the best of my abilities.
0: Hasn't seen these questions today. No, I
1: did not prepare for school.
0: <laughs> for, you don't need to when you're giving the lecture at college. You don't need to prepare.
1: Oh uh, yeah, I um, I hope that my my age, my stature, and my tenure behind the bar will carry me through this interview. Uh,
0: We'll see. You're five questions away from finding out. Shoot. Question number one. Which spirits category are you currently most excited about from a personal or professional perspective?
1: Oh, as we mentioned earlier, I, I will say the Clarence. The mm-hmm. I think that's uh, a place where I am very excited to, uh, to visit as far as the spirits category. I'm pretty excited there.
0: <laughs> might have a little something for you after we finish up after no, we wrap up this one
1: no doubt yeah I, I do i do enjoy um that category as a whole right now especially this time of
0: year it's really interesting
1: mm-hmm.
0: um let's the, let's shout out to a friend here Jan Warren no doubt no and the doubt. fine people at Maison Envelier <laughs> if you're in new york city they've got some phenomenal products within those uh within that realm have they not
1: yeah probably top ranking as far as that's concerned and how I was certainly introduced and and it goes without saying that Jan and I have a great history and friendship together that uh predated the American trilogy so really <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and and we enjoy that uh that friendship to this day and spoke today as a matter of fact and so we we even had a recent um dinner together where we were tasting things that are not entirely this similar, but uh, from Clara, but mm-hmm. uh, some some really wild Sotol
0: uh, varietals
1: yeah. and some interesting mezcal. And at, at Claro, shout out to Claro in uh, Gowanus in Brooklyn, where I attended junior high school just a few blocks away and could not have imagined that I'd be eating and drinking such amazing things yeah. uh, 30 years later, so... 35 years later. It's a hard life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, to, to answer Clary, your original yeah. question, Clarence, is is, is is definitely something special.
0: Very nice. Question number two. What was the last drink you had that wowed you?
1: This is easy. Uh, I discovered very recently that I enjoy uh, sake and tonic. Really, just a surprise to me. Very strange surprise. But um, this is not a fancy cocktail. This is not something I enjoyed at a uh, exalted, bespoke, yeah, yet, uh, special cocktail bar. But um, yeah, I, I went to see a show and drank a sake and tonic. The show was incredible. Shout out to the band, uh, New York Grimmies at Special Club. Great experience, sake and tonic.
0: Nice, gonna try that one. It was dope. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Number three here for you. What's one book you would recommend that every alcohol and cocktail enthusiast should own a copy of?
1: May I ask a question to follow up to mm-hmm. the question? Uh, is this a book that is related to spirits
0: and. Doesn't need no? to be a recipe book, it can be related. It can also be a complete work of fiction.
1: Well, with regard to alcohol and spirits enthusiasts and what should they own, I two, two very random books come to mind for no good reason. Uh, Here is New York by E.B. White. It's a very short essay mm-hmm. from 1946. Kind of, I think I might have even mentioned this the last time I was here. I don't recall, but um, to me that sums up the true experience of this city and this town and who we are and the fabric of what this place is meant to be and those of us who come here from all points, north, south, east, west, to be in this place. Um, So that's one that I would always recommend. And that's one that we used to recommend at Milk and Honey back in the day too.
0: So there you go. Um, yeah.
1: Here is New York, E.B. White, mm-hmm. very brief essay, um, written, I believe, in a sweltering single room occupancy hotel room with no air conditioning, um, which also somewhat captures it's the New zeitgeist York. of the yeah.
0: mm-hmm. New York experience yeah. right there. Yeah. Nice. Question number four, penultimate one for you. If you could appear in one movie scene where alcohol plays a prominent role, which one would it be, and who would you like to play?
1: This is so easy. This is so easy. Okay, um, Mean Streets, nineteen seventy three.
0: Okay, tell and us, tell the, us about that.
1: The answer would be anyone. It would be Johnny Boy, of course, uh, brilliantly portrayed by Robert De Niro, Charlie, uh, Harvey Keitel's protagonist in the, in the film. Or even Tony the bartender, whose name I believe was David Proval. And I can't—I still can't remember the the character uh, who um, played Hyman Roth, which has been still in the buddy. back of my mind for this entire time. <laughs> but uh, as a young man in New York City growing up, and, and we'll preface this by saying as a teenager, my introduction to the fraternal brotherhood of the grape Shout out to John Fonte, by the way. So getting back to our literary references, John Fonte, uh, also someone who I think uh, needs to be read more often. Um, I remember drinking 40s and quarts of Ballantine Ale in the streets and subways of New York City. And when I finally graduated from that level of... Uh, imbibing and inebriation, which we do not condone. We do not condone. No, not here, not 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 on this show. Not one bit. But when I was finally able to enter into uh, proper bars, I might not have been old enough to be there in the late 1980s, but I wanted to be there. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to drink 7 and 7 in the same exact bars where they were drinking 7 and 7 in Mean Streets with the red lights and <laughs> and the doo-wop and soul music and the Motown, and that's where I wanted to be. Um, and I got close a few times. Um, I think we talked about this last time as well. There's n- no more important bar to me in New York City than Sonny's and Red yeah. Hook. And I was there uh, about a week ago, and that was wonderful. But being in downtown Manhattan... What is now called No-Ho or So-Ho or mm-hmm. Little Italy, of course, was was where it would have taken place back then. But that's where I would have wanted to be. Mm-hmm. 1973, Mean Streets, drinking 7 and 7. And there's, the, there's that incredible scene where Harvey Keitel is actually... The, the camera's following him through the bar while he's just... <laughs> he's 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 having a very good time and ultimately (laughs) falls asleep on a table i Mm -hmm. believe but after my own heart that would be my bar scene Mm -hmm. that i would love to have been a part of
0: i thought you might go i thought you might go back to godfather 2 and the daiquiri scene no no i i would not have chosen
1: such a refined uh (laughs) choice I, i think number two is even way more left field but let's just say mean streets mean streets
0: it's a good choice yeah very true to yourself yeah i feel like no doubt last question today interested to hear your thoughts on this one which modern classic cocktail do you think is deserving of more recognition than it gets modern classic cocktail Modern classic, I'm saying here with air quotes. I mean, no one's officially defining these. People have in books recently, but no one's officially defining it. But you know what I mean, of the ilk of a, uh, Yeah. I well, I don't want to say any in case it's the one that you want to pick, but yeah. No, no. I would say
1: that the Enzoni from Vincenzo Erico, um, which I believe he created this cocktail at Match Bar in 2000, Okay. Shortly before he came to Milk and Honey uh, in New York, Um, so timeline maybe a few years, but Mm -hmm. Enzoni, yeah, which is so
0: so proving your point here, right? Yeah, so
1: not necessarily a Negroni variation, um, but uh, fresh grapes, the varietal. Is of course, uh, we, we would have to talk to Enzo about what he initially used. We used to use white grapes when we made it at Milk and Honey. Um, Concords are mm-hmm. fantastic if you can have them in season, it's amazing. Um, fresh lemon juice, simple syrup, gin, campari, shake, strain over a rock, and this is uh, perhaps one of the most beautiful cocktails I've ever experienced. And mm-hmm. Enzo is known for the red oak. Yeah, of course. Um, but I say that his Enzoni needs more props as a modern classic cocktail.
0: Mm-hmm. He's more... back in Italy now, is that right?
1: That's right. He's at L'Artefatto, mm-hmm. um, in, on the island of Ischia. And I recently, uh, was at a, a, a amazing wedding that I officiated, uh, not far away. Um, and I was communicating with him and thinking, I'm going to find my way there, um, but it didn't quite happen, so I was so no. close. But mm-hmm. one of the, um, I, I, I was very honored to have served with him at Milk and Honey and Little Branch and learned so much, and uh, always appreciated his his style and his elegance mm-hmm. and his demeanor
0: mm-hmm. above all. Is this bonus here? Maybe yes, maybe not. But what does, would the answer to this question be the same if the question were phrased as, "Which modern classic cocktail do you wish you had invented?" Maybe no
1: The sake and tonic? Sa- <laughs> I, think
0: <you> <laughs> I think you just did. I think you just did.
1: I doubt it, but I was thoroughly impressed with that cocktail. So I, mm-hmm. whoever invented that drink, I give you props and
0: respect. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, guess what, Richie? It's Thanksgiving. People got football to watch. Football, Turkey's debased meaning, American football.
1: Okay, no, I, I you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't say, soccer. I couldn't say anything about that. But, yeah, but there is football to watch, most There's certainly. Football to watch on the world stage.
0: On the world stage, yeah. Um, not gonna say where, but yeah, it's out there. <laughs> the real one. The, I like soccer. The, I like football. Yeah. The stakes are high. Stakes are high right now. Um, but thank you very much. It's been it's been a real pleasure having you back. And and honestly talking about this real american classic the american trilogy i'm gonna go and listen to some elvis as well <laughs> you know the king we've got uh, we've got plenty of
1: selections on the jukebox at dutch kills of uh many many american classics so mm-hmm. let's have saddle one saddle up to the bar yeah
0: dutch kills can be better I, cheers richie i agree same thank you tim cheers Thanks for listening to the Cocktail College podcast. If you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify or Stitcher. And please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded in New York City and produced by myself and Darby Seaside, who also composed our awesome theme music. Just give that a listen. I also want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the VinePair team, especially co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Malin, editor in chief Joanna Sharino, and art director Danielle Greenberg, who designed our killer logo. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time.